Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother, and I'm a writer, and I'll be asking the questions and leading the discussion. And with me, of course, is Matt. Say hello. Hello. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to remind people about the different ways they can support the podcast. There is, of course, simply listening or watching, and you can also like and subscribe. You can also go to stilltbd.fm. There's a link there that will allow you to throw some coins in our cookie jar, and we appreciate whatever kind of support you're willing and able to give. Before we get into the newest episode, I'd like to bring up a few comments on our last episode. These include from... Friend of the podcast, Roger Starkey, Good old Roger. reminded me that the building I referred to in London, which we talked last week about the new building that was being built in, was it Copenhagen? I believe so, yes. Or Rotterdam. It was Rotterdam. It was Rotterdam. Uh, the Rotterdam building, which is a very unique uh, architectural design, like a space donut, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, look, um, actually the more I think about it, it's a little bit like the, the guardian of forever from star Trek. Yes. <laughs> you go back in time. If you go, go back in time, <laughs> unfortunately with those wires that are strung between it, it will also cheese grate you as you go through it. But, uh, Roger pointed out that the building in London, which I referred to, which I thought was called the pickle. He reminds me it's called the gherkin, which of course is a kind of pickle. Very but, specific. <laughs> and he also uh, informed us that it's the mayoral headquarters, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. We also received a comment from Guitar John. And John wanted to point out to us in our comments about Texas and the environment of Texas and the impact of the different attempts to utilize wind or solar or what have you in that environment he wanted to remind us that texas isn't just one environment he writes we have everything from stupid humid subtropical to grasslands to desert any device deployed here would need to be set up for the particular climate in that part of texas that's a great reminder john that we can't make assumptions about a state as large as texas or any area being homogenous and uh I also really tip my hat to your reference to the humidity in Texas as stupid humid. <laughs> yes. I like that framing. Yeah. And a little bit of information I wanted to pull from the news, a little mini conversation before we get into Matt's most recent episode. I wanted to get your thoughts about the announcement from Ford this week. Ford made a pretty oh, dramatic yeah step forward in their EV pursuits. And I wanted to get your thoughts about that just the in, in general. Yeah. The F-150 reveal I thought was, it couldn't have gone better for them. It's like they came out swinging because the Cybertruck kind of laid the gauntlet down for what a, a truck could be as far as like range and towing capacity. And Ford came out and just basically met them almost across the board for the different specs and the thing that surprised me most was the price. It's like it starts under $40,000 and that's not including any incentives. So it's very price competitive to the Cybertruck. It's very price competitive to gasoline trucks. And it 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 looks like one kick-ass truck. So if you're a truck person, 
um, this is going to probably be one of your leading contenders when you're when you're looking at what's out there. And I, I was saying to a couple friends of mine, it's like I have a deposit down on a cyber truck and I'm, I don't know, I wasn't sure if I was going to actually go through with it, with it or not. And I'm planning on building a home in Western Massachusetts. So I am seriously considering getting a truck. And the more time goes by, the less I want a cyber truck, especially with where I'm moving to, because I don't want to be that guy <laughs> that has, it's the cyber truck guy in Western right. Mass. So when I go pick up some milk from the store, I don't want to be like turning heads to pick up uh, you know, some milk. You don't like, want people to be hearing the Knight Rider theme song as you cruise down the road. Yeah. If I, if I was living in an area where there would be other cyber trucks around, then I would feel a little more comfortable, but I don't want to be the only cyber truck around, which would right. be where I'm moving to. So it's like, if I'm going to get a tr an EV truck, I'd be looking at something like a Rivian or now this Ford F-150, right. um, which looks more trucky and can kind of fit in like the background. In a little bit. Yeah. The less bling but it still gets me all the things I'd be wanting to get out of a uh, EV truck. It's, it's a very impressive vehicle. I, I'm very happy to see what Ford's doing with their EV strategy because they've been kind of, they've been kind of quiet as far as revealing, like what are they doing with their battery infrastructure? What are they doing with their, you know, EV factories that they're going to have to build where GM is bragging about everything they're doing. Tesla, we all know about what Tesla is doing and Volkswagen's doing and Ford is finally starting to kind of reveal I wonder how much of that of is driven by the thing it's going. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is driven by the fact that Ford is largely family run. It is still a largely family shareholder uh, control True. of True. The, the company. Maybe makes them uh, feel a little bit more um, conservative with sharing information in that way. Whereas GM is is appealing to the public and having to keep a, a much wider group uh, informed. Could be. But I thought that the the dollar value that they're also putting into that part of their planning and their very clear, open statement um, really was a signal change of saying, mm -hmm. we have as much of an opportunity here as Henry Ford did when he created the Model T and yep. started mass producing cars that this is that next moment where we can plant a flag, become a leader, and really it's a shot across Tesla's bow, largely. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's a very interesting, It's it kind of felt like a sea change, like a very quiet sea change in a strange way because it's not about going out on the street and suddenly seeing nothing but electric vehicles driving down the street. It's about a company as big as Ford making a very bold uh, statement and redirection for the entire vision of their company. Yeah. And I thought that was uh, really quite remarkable and surprising. It seemed to come out of nowhere. It did kind of come out of nowhere and it is related, but like you compare that to Toyota and Honda, two of the largest car companies in the world, making some of the best gasoline cars in the world. And their strategy for EV is abysmal. Like th what they're presenting is really lackluster they're all in on fuel cells and then meanwhile you have tesla gm volkswagen and now ford really laying out a really good strong game plan for what they're doing and the, the, the point of this is a turning point this is a place where you can kind of plant your flag car companies haven't had this opportunity in 100 years to kind of reestablish themselves as leaders and it's really great to see not to be pro-america here but to see gm and ford two long-lived automotive country companies in the country 
kind of reestablished themselves getting ready for the next hundred years where yeah companies like toyota and honda seem to be kind of like floundering not knowing what they're doing right um, it's kind of it's kind of sad there was also a comment on your newest episode that was it felt like it was uh separated enough from the content of the episode that i wanted to introduce it now in relation mm -hmm. to the ford announcement and it's from the lonely rogue and rogue wrote i just bought my first ev last night partially because of the influence of your videos a used 2012 nissan leaf very happy to be doing my part and saving money and this made me think about something I hadn't considered before, which would be a growing and ever growing mm -hmm. used electric vehicle market. And I was wondering if you wanted to weigh in on that at all. Have you, I know you've purchased your cars, um, new, yes. but then when it comes to trading in or selling or looking at the used market, do you have any experience with any of that? Not with EVs yet, because I'm, I have no plans to sell my model three yet, but the market is actually very good for EVs because there's so few of them. So you can actually get a good resale value depending on the car. Nissan Leafs have kind of devalued a lot, um, but he he got a great deal on an old car. And if all you need is a car that goes 50 to 100 miles in range to get around the city, he bought the perfect car. And because he bought such an older car, he probably got a steal on that car. So a really cheap, affordable way to get in. But Teslas have really good resale value. Um, so I have a feeling it's kind of like Apple right now. Like you turn to selling a used iPhone after three or four years, you get more money for it than a Android phone after three or four years. I don't know if it's going to be across the board for EVs, but for right now, Tesla's hold their value really well. And it's going to be a growing, like you mentioned, it's going to be a growing space because right. over the next 10 years, that market is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger of people as they upgrade getting rid of their old EVs, which is gonna be great to make it more affordable for more people to get into EVs. Right. It's kind of a necessary, necessary part of the cycle. Right. And the final stage of the cycle, of course, would be the subject of Matt's yeah. most recent episode. Yeah. Talk about Segway magic. Woo. Like a professional, Sean. Smooth. A professional. So smooth. I almost slid out of the video. <laughs> Matt's most recent episode is titled solving EVs biggest problem battery recycling explained this episode dropped on may 25th 2021 and it literally is the next step of what you were just talking about past a yep. used ev market is of course well this ev is now done it doesn't yes. do anything anymore time to take it apart for scrap and mm -hmm. the batteries being what they are are still incredibly valuable mm -hmm. even if they are dead as a doornail and Correct. can't hold a charge. So you had an opportunity to talk to, and I thought it was a great conversation, uh, a recycling company that has remarkable efficiency using mm -hmm. a chemical process to break everything down and separate everything. And you mentioned uh, your virtual walkthrough felt very much like looking at a large chemistry lab. Yes. I kept having flashbacks to chemistry class in high school of yes. <laughs> it literally being, you can take any chemical compound that has multiple parts to it. And there are different ways of extracting those parts from one another. And that's mm -hmm. all they're doing. It is extremely complicated. I do not mean to 
<laughs> undercut yeah. the complication of what they're doing. But it is also, from a chemist's perspective, simple chemistry. You add yeah. X to this, and then yeah. you get these two components, and then you figure out, well, what do I do to get those two components separated now that I've added this third thing? And eventually you end up with all the individual parts. And the percentages that they're talking about, in some cases, 100 or practically 100% extraction, yep. leads to the big question that you raised right at the end. And I actually had the question partway through the video. Will there be a tipping point of, well, all the production can now be done using recycled materials. Mining is no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. And... That tipping point, it's, it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of China is currently the major producer. You showed that graphic of the world where China is the lion's share of it. And it's largely Tesla here in the U.S. that is driving production. And that's on the West Coast. It's interesting to envision wood recycling plants be best served to be built in those locations where there are the most cars being driven? And do you start to see a future where the size of the bubble in China of production begins to shrink as smaller bubbles pop up around the US and other parts of the world, largely I imagine near urban centers where Right. On the East Coast, New York, uh, Washington, D.C., probably Atlanta, places where you'd have lots of drivers, lots of vehicles, potentially lots of EVs. It's, it's, it's kind of two, it's the two paths I brought up in the video. There's this other company called Lycycle, which is building a factory in our old stomping grounds in the Eastman Kodak, the former Eastman Kodak buildings. Um, and they have facilities in Toronto as well. They seem to be going down that path where they'll be building out facilities in strategic locations to consolidate recycling, and then they will ship those materials out to manufacturers wherever they are. There's the other path, which is what um, American manganese is kind of going down. And I think more companies are going to go down this path than the Lycycle path. It's integrating recycling uh, systems into the manufacturing centers that are making the batteries because it simplifies dramatically the shipping costs and the how you recycle the materials because when you recycle materials in centralized lo locations you're boiling it down to just kind of like bulk lithium bulk nickel bulk whatever it is and then it has to be processed beyond that again to turn it back into what you need for a battery where if it's integrated into tesla's man battery manufacturing or it's integrated into gm's manufacturing the recycling process at the end spits out the exact chemistry composition that they need to go right back into the battery because right. it's, it's custom tailored to what they need. So you're cutting out an entire step and you're cutting out shipping. So it's probably the most affordable way for large corporations like GM, VW, Tesla, who do their own manufacturing or LG, like to integrate recycling centers in the facility or near the facility because you can custom tailor the recycling to exactly what you need out of that recycled material where Lifecycle is taking more of a broader approach where they're kind of like chuck it all in a bin, recycle it out, get the broken down components and ship them back out again. Right. We're going to need both, but I think you'll see more integration than you will 
isolated facilities. And what does that do to overall prices regarding the mind uh, components? Yeah. Where is there enough, is there enough of a profit margin that introducing recycling as a, as a competing option, is there enough of a profit margin on the mind side that they can lower their prices? I, I, you know, the, the entire point of, of competition and the capitalist model is that competition will lower costs overall. But is there enough room for that to happen or could underselling the mind side potentially create a, a stumbling block for the people who are doing the mining to say it's no longer worth it. We can't sell what we're getting out of the ground. And, and could that lead inadvertently to a shortage? Good question. Um, I don't know. It's, it's based on my conversation with Zarco and other people in the industry it seems that's highly unlikely because as Zarko said at the end of the video, when I asked him point blank, I'm like, do you think we'll get to a point where it tips into the favor of we won't need to do additional mining? His response was just a clear cut. No, he doesn't think we'll get there. He thinks at least for a long time, we'll be predominantly mining and then we'll just slowly build up our recycling, but mining will never go away. I've talked to other people who think the same exact thing that mining will always be with us because we will never be able to fully satiate our need at least for decades because you're talking about transitioning how many billions of cars are there out there yeah. and right now evs only make up one percent of that so it's like over the next 20 to 30 years as we're transitioning from gasoline to electric it's like we're just gonna need more and more lithium and we're not gonna have enough to recycle for some time yes i'm gonna take so. a break now and try and kill this mosquito <laughs> <laughs> and oh my god i did it did you just do a little Miyagi routine there? I did. Chopsticks did. out and catch I it. I think we should leave that in the video. <laughs> uh, in preparation for filming the video, I, as longtime viewers may remember, I had to booten up my door, which was to put the drape that I use over the door to cover the back window. And we're now at a, a lovely, almost summery like temperature now here yeah. in New York city. So the moment I opened up the door and it's breezy outside, probably 10 billion mosquitoes were blown in from the backyard <laughs> right into the living room basement area where I record. And I shut the door, sat down and almost immediately spotted a very large mosquito that was looking to feast. And so just now <laughs> as we were recording, uh, I lost track of everything Matthew was saying because the mosquito was flying directly <laughs> between my eyes. <laughs> I looked at the video just in time for you whacking the, the microphone. <laughs> yeah, I hit the microphone. So if there was any sound from that, uh, that we, we can take that out. But the rest of it, the excitement of me actually one-handed grabbing the mosquito right out of the air. Um, sometimes I like to reaffirm for myself that I am, in fact, Batman. Or Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Rochester. Uh, yes. There was a comment from Scott Rader who wrote Rochester with an exclamation mark. Excitement. Uh, and that's how we all felt about living there. Rochester. <laughs> that city, like so many, could sure use some help. I can only imagine how many empty Eastman Kodak buildings there are. And that's, 
I, that's a, a really great thing to point out. Uh, when we, when Matt and I were were young, we were middle school aged. We moved to the Rochester area at that time. It was something like seventy five percent of the people who lived in Rochester worked for Eastman Kodak. Or Eastman Kodak is now gone, <laughs> yeah. and yes. Rochester did a fairly good job. Uh, through the 80s and 90s of beginning to diversify. So there was some economic supports there to help it weather um, the big change that came, but there were huge layoffs there and it was literally layoffs of like tens of thousands of people at a time. And it, it had a huge impact on the entire region. This is not unlike things that have happened to cities like Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, all, you know, huge swath of industry across the center of the country, of course. Recycling plants like this could be a huge future. A, a company that was looking for places to set up, it's not unlike, I mean, it, in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, there is the scene when uh, George Bailey is talking to his old friend about the possibility that a a plastics plant might be built in Rochester and George Bailey recommends, Hey, what about right here? Because we have a factory that's empty. There's lots of places that have those empty, empty factories that could be repurposed for just this kind of work. And I think it's, it's, as you pointed out, Matt, the number of cars, the demand for batteries, not to mention, this isn't just cars we're talking about. These are the yeah. same battery packs that would be in a power wall. These are the things that people are going to be wanting to put in their homes. So when it comes to the demand, the demand is not limited to auto manufacturers. This is going to be expanding from everything from the phones we have in our pockets to the power walls in our garages, to the cars in the garages, to, I can imagine a plethora of things we haven't even thought of yet that might involve battery packs. So with all of that coming the next layer, of course, is what do you do with all those components when they need to be recycled? Recycling plants are probably going to be a major industry in the future, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. That's part of the reason I've very, been very interested in this for the past couple of years. Um, I talked to Zarco a couple of years ago for the first time, um, and he and I have been keeping in touch. So it was just it was just a matter of time before I kind of circled back to this video again, this topic, because it's very important. It's going to be a booming industry in the future. It's kind of inevitable we have to get there. And to kind of tie it back to recycling of like plastics, where plastic recycling is just a major boondoggle. It's just a, it's a, it's a gigantic facade. We only recycle something like, I can't remember, it's like 20 or 30% of the plastic we make and the rest just goes into landfills. Um, and we consume like five grams of pl- microplastics a day. It's, 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 we're kind of killing ourselves slowly with plastics. And it was all in the seventies portrayed as, oh, we can recycle plastics. The problem is it's cheaper to make new plastic than it is to recycle old plastic. And it's part of the reason why it's never caught on is because there's the economics just aren't there. And no companies want to do it. And it's just, everybody keeps kicking the can down the road. This is like the opposite because already these recycling companies are showing we can get these materials cheaper for you than you going out and digging new mines. So the economics are already there and they're going to stay there. And you can kind of equate this to like lead acid batteries. We recycle about 99% of the lead acid batteries that are manufactured today. 
And part of the reason for that is there's there's government requirements and it's cheaper to recycle those batteries than to make new. So it's like, that's what's going to happen with lithium ion as well. So this is going to be a booming industry. And there's a reason why there's like literally over a hundred companies around the world all racing to become the dominant players in this market. Money to be made. (laughs) Everybody's going after it. My last question on this is you of course are talking about this from a U.S. perspective and the growth potential here. Is there a is there a country or a region that is already doing something at a level which you'd say is, oh, they're five years ahead of us. And is there a region or area that you would say, oh, they're ignoring this completely and that's absolutely terrible? When you're talking about recycling? Um, the I would kind of say just across the board, and I know there's going to be European listeners that will find this funny, but I'm just going to say the EU is just kind of five years ahead of the United States pretty much in everything right now. <laughs> Pick a topic, five years ahead. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, better building requirements, better things about solar, better They're recycling. They're 100 years ahead in in the chocolate market. I got to tell you, anytime <laughs> yeah. you, if you're buying chocolate, I'm sorry, Hershey's. I know you've got brand recognition here. but Beer, beer. Yeah. Come on. Um, seriously, though, they have requirements around things, around recycling, going expanding beyond just batteries, but like, they have requirements that companies who make a thing are responsible for disposing of that thing and is built right. into the cost structure of what they can sell it for. So it's kind of like, you know, when you go to go get a bottle here in the United States of soda and it's got a five cent or 15 cent, you know, deposit on the bottle so that it incentivizes you going to do it. It's similar systems like that for solar panels and things like that in Europe. So they are way ahead of us. Um, we need things like that in place around the world. Um, the United States, which is kind of the wild west of business, the free market, the dollar is going to drive recycling. And you can see that from the fact that there's so many recycling companies that are spinning up here because um, there's a business opportunity and money to be made. But there needs to be something policy-based in the government as well to make sure that companies are incentivized to recycle things and are made responsible for the things they put into the world the way that Europe's doing it. Um, China, I don't know, because there's like a whole lot of China. China's weird because you, they often don't, they sometimes tout things that are true. And sometimes they don't talk about things that probably are true that they should be talking about. So it's like, I'm not completely clear on what they're doing, but my guess is that they are on top of this because they are actually doing some really amazing things around solar and renewables and flow batteries. They're like really trying to get themselves off of coal. Yeah. Um, they really are. So it's like, I would not be surprised that they're on top of this because they're, they're becoming very concerned about their environment. That's part of the reason they stopped accepting our garbage because that's where right. our plastic had been going for the past 20 years. And they basically right. said, Nope, our environment's getting bad enough. We got to stop taking your stuff. Um, Australia is another place I would kind of point out as doing the right thing. I haven't looked into recycling there specifically, but they tend to be like Europe. They tend to be kind of ahead of the game on this kind of stuff. So it's all, it's uneven across the board, but it's good to see that these conversations are happening at all. Mm -hmm. And you just look back 10 years and the idea of, of this level of recycling around anything in a car other than the metal itself Mm -hmm. would be unheard of. And I, so I think that this is really, um, a great sign that the conversation is happening. So what do our listeners think about this conversation? 
Have any of you had experiences that would indicate that you've seen something change in a positive way in this way? Or do you see the opposite? Do you see people dragging their feet? Let us know what you think. You can find the contact information in the podcast description and on YouTube, of course, that's directly below the video. And you can just leave a comment right there. We have many ways you can support the podcast. That includes just keep simply listening, subscribing, liking, sharing with your friends. You can also directly support the podcast. You can go to stilltbd.fm and there you'll find the support the podcast link. And that's where our little jar is. Please throw a few pennies in if you can. Even if you can't, we appreciate you listening and supporting us in that way. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. And then the podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew is impressed when I kill a mosquito with my left hand. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.